HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and all the ways that immigrants make our food system more delicious. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. My guest today is Fanny Gerson. She's the founder of Dough Donuts in La Neorquina, a company that aims to share the sweetness and culture of Mexico. She's the author of My Sweet Mexico, Paletas, and the forthcoming Mexican Ice Cream, Beloved Recipes and Stories. Hi, Fanny. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Um, there's a lot going on, first of all. <laughs> there's a lot going on in the food world and in the political world. Yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first, you know, before we kind of get into both, why don't you tell me a little bit about your story? You're from Mexico City. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Mexico City, mm-hmm. even though I don't have a very Mexican name. Not a very Mexican <laughs> name, but kind of a Mexican accent. I'm still here. <laughs> I have, yes, I have a bit of an accent. And uh, my great-grandparents from my father's side actually immigrated uh, to Mexico from Eastern Europe. So it's an, uh, an immigrant... Uh, an immigrant day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> are there are there a lot of Mexican immigrants from Eastern Europe? I feel like you don't hear about that very often. Uh, well, there there is you know th- there's not a lot compared to like you know the, like the Jewish the, yeah. the Jewish community yeah. in Mexico is small, but mm-hmm. I like to say we make some noise. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and actually, my grandparents were gonna. My grandmother was gonna come to New York. So she was, uh, they were scheduled, she was an only child, so her parents and her, she was very young, um, to go on the boat, but then she got sick. She had a cold, and back then, having a cold was a a huge deal. So she wasn't allowed in the boat. They had to wait several months to be able to get another one, but by the time she was able to, to go on that second boat... 
uh, they, there were no more entries into the United States. Mm-hmm. They had closed the entry. So they had heard from, I don't know, like someone that knew someone that knew someone that uh, Mexico was was another place they could go to. And they went there, but the intention was just to be there until they reopened the borders. But oh. once they reopened the borders, they had, you know, started to make a home mm-hmm. in Mexico. That is so interesting. And as a result, you are Mexican. Yes, as a result, I am Mexican. And I've been, <laughs> I've been uh, in this country for about 20 years now. Um, you came here for, for school, for right? School. For culinary school. Yeah, yeah. so I studied uh, upstate at the Culinary Institute of America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've been here ever since. I just left uh, to do my externship in Spain for a year and was in Mexico briefly and then back to New York. Yeah. Um, so lots changed since you first came to the United States. Yes. Which was <laughs> in the late 90s? It was in the late 90s. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, so this is a show about, you know, food and politics and, and immigrant culture. And uh, you're someone, you know, I, I read the article in, in Grub Street. You own two different food businesses that both kind of focus on Mexican foods. And I know, you know, living in New York City, everyone says, oh, it's, you know, it's a bubble. Which, to me, is kind of an offensive thing to say. (laughs) I personally don't think that New York City is a bubble because we interact with people of every ethnicity, every race, every religion, Mm -hmm. every single day, on the subway, in the streets. And, you know, obviously there's people in other parts of the country who aren't exposed to, you know, such... A, a diverse range of people on their day to day. So saying New York City is a bubble when, you know, we're the ones that are actually yeah. Like we we know from immigrants. Like we know from re- refugees. Yeah. So I sort of resent the fact when people call us the bubble. <laughs> Not that this is like an us versus them, but you know, I know you're in New York City so you ha- might have a different perspective of what it might feel like to own, you know, a Mexican focused food business, but how does it feel in in light of everything that's happening, like with the you know the rhetoric about Mexicans being rapists and the build the wall and and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I I, I get what you're saying about the bubble, but I do understand sort of like mm-hmm. where you're coming from and where they're coming from. Like, I think that uh, as an immigrant, whether you have a business or not, being in the in New York, you feel protected, right? You know, even undocumented. Uh, workers feel protected you know the it's almost like a shield it's like as a opposed shield to a you know so yeah. exactly so i think that maybe that that would be a better choice of words right uh so for la Yorkina, I, I specifically focus on uh mexico and the sweetness of mexico and at dough it's a little bit of everything there's always like because it's i create the flavors but it's not and a lot of them are inspired by Mexico, but we also do some other flavors that, that yeah, aren't. Yeah, dough is and less so obviously a it's Mexican It's less obvious, you know, company. so, yeah. you know, and I do flavors like a matcha donut or yeah. uh, some, some things like that. But and I think with, people are surprised sometimes when they find out that you are the, you are yes. also La Yorkina <laughs> and dough, that you're the yes, same person. exactly. Mostly, like, how do you have time? Yeah, <laughs> I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> and I have, you know, a lot of support. Yeah. Uh, but mainly I don't sleep a lot. Um, but... I do have to say that it's a scary time because also a lot of the the political climate, you know, or whatever you want to call it, is also <laughs> very 
um, you know, so far it's targeted specific countries and Mexico uh, is one of the main ones, even in the campaign. So that creates, you know, so so for me, it's scary both as a Mexican and, uh, you know, and living here in, uh, you know, having a Mexican business. And so I'm worried for you know, people in Mexico and people here, not just, I mean, I, I worry in general, but it, it hits particularly. <laughs> there's just a lot to worry there's about. There's a lot right to now. worry yeah. about. And I remember within the first week of the uh, the election results, somebody was walking by the store and said, because it says like Mexican ice and sweets. And he was like, Mexican. <laughs> You know, and we've heard that a couple of times. Really? And even in New York. And I'm like, if we feel it here, what is it? You know, but I guess that's the bubble part is that, again, I think it's a shield. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I what I resent about it is when people say it in a way that's pejorative, because I think it's if anything, it's a it's a positive that we're shielded from that sort of rhetoric. Yes. You know, that does exist. Probably exactly. But uh, but I still I feel it. And, you know, we have employees that are worried for their family members and i mean and that goes throughout you know most of the kitchens are you know latin or not most of them but you know there's a large percentage of latin workers uh in in all of the u.s right and it's the backbone i mean is there a disconnect that seems to be happening in the united states with um understanding how the food system, how the food industry and the restaurant there's a, industry there, There's works. a complete, not just disconnect, but to me, uh, utter ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, like first, you know, the, all the fact is like, oh, go back to your country. You know, like they, they're criminals. You know, just being undocumented does not equal being a criminal, mm-hmm. you know. And most of the people that, that came here, you know, in, in that way, they risked a lot to be here. They risked their lives. They left so much at home and they don't really want to be here for the most part. They would like to go back home, but there's not, you know, the, the opportunities in, in Mexico and in El Salvador and in many countries, you know, they are um, not, not ideal. There's not a lot of opportunity. So people go in the same way that my uh, great-grandparents immigrated, you know, trying to have a better life for them and for their family. So there's a complete disconnect and, you know, and then other people say, well, but they're doing the work that Americans uh, don't want to do. Right. And perhaps that's, um, there's, there's a a bit of truth in that, but I think more importantly, there's a a really big disconnect without understanding how or, or why nobody ever questions the people that are against, all of this, don't take the time to really question or even ask, you know, what it took for them to be here and what they're doing. And by the way, they do pay taxes because mm-hmm. that's another thing that they talk about. So they contribute to the society. They contribute to the economy, you know, and, uh, you know, what, what, what about people that live here that take advantage of uh, the welfare system or, you know what I mean? So course, yeah. it's not it's not black and white but i think in order for people to really have a strong opinion you need to get educated sure but (laughs) they should but of course it's you know the people who tend to have a strong opinion um you know it's there's an emotional response that's easily triggered and definitely in both sides in both sides yeah so what is someone who owns a business um 
What, what are you taking any precautions at this point? Are you um, talking with other business owners in terms of, you know, how you guys can kind of collaborate together and create kind of a protections for some of your workers or if there's some sort of uh, plan that's happening just in case, you know, ice comes into yeah. your restaurants and starts rounding up workers. Yeah, I think... I mean, not to say that any of yours are undocumented. Yes, but, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, and that you bring up a very good point. You know... What I, is the responsibility th- of, a, of a restaurant owner? I think a uh, responsibility and something that, you know, I've done with friends and, and uh, colleagues, it's just you know as the like spreading the information because a yeah. lot of this stuff is changing every day you know depending day. on the the tweeter mood <laughs> that the president is in we'll call him the tweeter <laughs> you know <laughs> yes mm-hmm. and uh so it's just sharing that information amongst ourselves so we can pass it along and then it's reassuring our staff and really just focusing you know i do have to say like if in seeing the silver lining mm-hmm. in, in things, sure. it has made people more aware and more engaged and more, you know. Uh, I, I mean, you can't dispute that, of course. No. Our, so, our, if there is one thing, if there is one thing that the tweeter has thing. accomplished in, yes. in unifying the country, it might be unifying <laughs> them against him. Yes, exactly. Not the entire country, of course, but <laughs> yes, so, I would say the majority. So I think that, that that is a good thing. But it's, a you know, for me also, just even... Um, there's a whole other aspect, which is the financial aspect. You know, I, I import a lot of my ingredients because sourcing is ex- extremely important to me. So I bring uh, chocolate from Oaxaca and vanilla beans from Mexico, uh, from Veracruz, you know, like a lot of stuff because I want to support the Mexican economy and small growers as much as I can of things that don't and be grow authentic here, about you know? the ingredients you're using. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could use a commercial brand that's going to have... You know, that doesn't have trouble. It doesn't matter if they raise the the taxes or if the NAFTA agreement, you know, stops happening. But that's a a deep concern, you know, and it's not. I mean, I'm just a little, uh, you know, a a little company, but it trickles down. So, you know, let's just uh, say guacamole is going to be more than two dollars at Chipotle. Yes, (laughs) exactly. You know, if if there is, it becomes like a luxury item. And, you know, that's like the vanilla the vanilla bean from Mexico is already expensive. Yeah. And right now we're f- trying to figure out because it just went up, you know, three times as much. Uh, our chocolate was uh, stopped at, uh, held up at the border, uh, which hadn't happened before. Eventually oh it came, God. but you know, it's like the, the little things and it's like, what, what are you going to do? And then it affects us. It affects, you know, what, you know, the business, but it also affects the people you know, the producer, the the one, you know, it's a whole chain. Yeah. And I'm just talking about like one, yeah. one ingredient. No, I mean, I remember we had a discussion because you came on the previous show that I used to host here the morning after. And it was during a time when it was very difficult to get limes from yes, Mexico. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and was we were very having expensive. That conversation and it was and for a whole different... <laughs> because of drug cartel. <laughs> because of drug cartel. Yeah, and that was but temporary, luckily. Yes, and yeah. that was, yeah, and they went up so much, I remember. So much. Like and all bartenders were saying like, I'm sorry, I can't garnish to garnish your drink with a lime would be like you know a ridiculous luxury right now (laughs) exactly you know and and for me i also you know i'm continuously trying to show people that um 
you know, Mexican food is as sophisticated as many others. And and I've heard, you know, David Chang say something similar about mm-hmm. a lot of Asian food that, you know, people, if you know, what is it about certain food like uh, Italian? Uh, you know, I use the, the example of gelato because that's closest to, to what I make. So if you go to a gelato shop, that's just... You know, a normal, not, you know, it could be an average one. It could be actually even a crappy <laughs> one. But because it has the word gelato, if you charge, I don't know, I'm just throwing out a number, but let's say $6 for for a medium or, you know, something like that. And you charge the same, but this is a Mexican ice cream shop. People are often like, oh, that's that's too expensive, you know, and because there's an association that because it's comes from a third world or it becomes, you know, if it's ethnic, it should be cheaper. Yeah. So if if I you know, to me, there's a whole education that this is actually, you know, we're sourcing from really good places. We use dairy from upstate New York and we bring, you know, all these ingredients from Mexico or the farmer's market or whatever. And, you know, we have a lot of offerings that that other people don't have. And so you already have that barrier. And then if on top of that, it makes it much more difficult to get uh, the ingredients. And then you have a staff that, you know, is concerned uh, about either their well-being, their, their family's well-being or the, the future of their country. And then there's uncertainty all around. So I think that it's a very scary time yeah, uh, for sure. <clears throat> but also, you know, it's the time you just like you just you hold each other and it's, uh, you know, I remember uh, I don't know if, if, if you were here right after the election results, but I, I remember the feeling was sort of this and it still is, but particularly the first few weeks, like a collective grievance. You know, I mean, by here, you mean like buried under my blanket sobbing <laughs> i was i was in a way here yes exactly and uh, so now i feel like it's time to be like you know in, in the same way that in the grieving stages yes. that you go to like it's time to be like it's collectively time to resolve. holding each other's hands yeah. and you know helping each other push mm-hmm. push through you just you brought up such a good point and i i want to come back to that that idea that um you know, there's this stigma attached to certain ethnic cuisines, but not all ethnic cuisines that mm-hmm. some um, some are more refined than others for, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Like there's, you know, a French culinary tradition. So French restaurants are, you know, considered gourmet. But, you know, there's the prop, there's the issue. It's like people don't understand why, like, you know, Alex Stupak is charging X amount of money for a taco and it's just a taco. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole issue of appropriation there. But... So do you think because it's like I'm trying to figure out what role food plays in all of this, like the way that we perceive certain um, ethnic groups is because maybe the way that like the food fits into the larger conversation, you know, the the six now now six countries that have been um, targeted and this Muslim ban, they're not, they're not cuisines that we necessarily associate with like fine dining. We don't have, um, an understanding of them being like, like an important part in, in the culinary sort of trajectory. If we had more experience with these cuisines, like in our day to day understanding of what like gourmet food could be Mm -hmm. like especially in different parts of the country you know like in new york we have every single kind of food and i think that has a lot to do with like why we don't have such flagrant racism necessarily (laughs) or like not racism but like intolerance is because we eat all this different kind of food and so like you know therefore we have like a better understanding of who the people that 
who the people are that are cooking our foods and where they come from. Do you think if um, different types of ethnic cuisine, like specifically Middle Eastern cuisine, played a more you know front and center like significant role in our in our food culture, there would be more tolerance? Well. Um, I know that's like a lot to unpack and it's yes. kind of like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I do, you know, food definitely but plays like, a big even role with Mexican, in conversation. It's like because it's so easy to dismiss it as like cheap or, yeah, you know, so that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. you know, f- food definitely brings people together and gives you a glimpse of somebody's culture and in, in many ways. Uh, but, you know, uh, food from those countries may not be well known, but Mexican food is very well known. And it still has that association for a lot of people. It has a negative connotation. Yeah. And, and it, it, you know, in the same way that they see a lot of people see Mexican food as like a Taco Bell and cheap or whatever, then they assume like, oh, well, the people that are, you know, it's like a superiority yeah. uh, thing. And then it, then you go into like, well, is it perhaps, you know, uh, it's about whiteness. You know, yeah. maybe the countries that have pr- predominantly white uh, um, people making them or they come from white cultures, you know, perhaps there's something there. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a sociologist or anthropologist, but that's a very interesting um, thing to to think about it that way because why is it that certain countries in in Europe have, even in Europe, have more of a sort of... um, a pass, a pass, yeah, (laughs) or a high end, and and not, you know, and and I think that every country has a lot to to offer. But you know, going back to sort of the, one of the good things is I see a lot of friends and colleagues um, doing special event dinners, highlighting foods from from these parts of the world because they they tend to be grouped all together. You know, it's like Arab food. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, and, exactly. And the, just as a whole, and then that is a very limited vocabulary for a lot of people. You know, like even even for us, and so I think that exposure and and but also the support that from that band, the immediacy of the reaction of the people has been amazing. You know, so I think that 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 must be, you know, something so that we hold on to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk more with Fanny. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. 
Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes. Feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs. And try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. And we're back. You're listening to Food Without Borders on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and I'm in studio with Fanny Garson from Dough Donuts and La Niorquina, which sells delicious Mexican sweets like paletas. <laughs> Hi, Fanny. Hi. Um, so, yeah, we've been talking a lot about uh, food and politics, and I want to hear a little bit about what's going on with you. Let's Let's take a deep breath, step away um, from the political conversation. You have a new cookbook coming out. I do. Can I'm you talk about so that? I'm so excited. Yes. I'm so excited. I am so Mexican excited. ice cream. Oh, my God. Yeah, Mexican ice cream. Uh, so so how is that different than paletas, or especially like your cookbook? <laughs> well, um, it's a bigger book, mm-hmm. um, and it's really, you know, it's kind of in between My Sweet Mexico, which was my first book, and Paletas in in every way. So it has sort of the depth in research uh, that I did for My Sweet Mexico and, you know, a lot of storytelling, whereas Paletas is more straightforward, you know, and a fun, delicious read. And so this, this book is sort of one... I mean, in every, everything that I do, I hope that you're transported in, yeah. in Mexico. But it's really about the people and the traditions and give, trying to document to give continuity. And Mexico may not be known, even for a lot of Mexicans, I have to say, um, as, you know, this this very interesting or particularly good ice cream place. You know, it's not like... It's not the first thing that comes to mind. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. You know, people talk about ice cream in um, Argentina or gelatos or Uh coffee in in India, but it doesn't have or Turkish ice cream, you Uh know, and uh, but I think it's embedded in in the culture in a way that people don't even see it as a, you know, because it's not something you see like in every in every corner. The way yeah. that you see in other places, but so, I think that you have the ability to take, you know, to 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 look, at, you know, in terms of like your sourcing and and bring out really interesting flavors, and then create ice creams that are really surprising that aren't like the flavors are always traditional or the ingredients are always traditional, but you know, not everyone's necessarily making ice creams in the same way that you yeah. It, well, I try, I try to pay, you know. Uh, homage to to uh-huh. what I see, but in Mexico, what's really interesting is, you know, what we were talking about before, how you you know one cuisine gets grouped. So that happens is very true for Mexican restaurants. You know, most of the restaurants, you know, say it's Mexican food, but there's there's regionalities um, that are very uh, present in in the cuisine. So and in ice cream, there's certain ice creams that you can only get in that particular town or in that particular city, um, and then the traditional way of making ice cream is, is this thing called nieve de garrafa. So it's, um, it's a wooden barrel with a cylinder in the center with ice. So very similar to like a churn, but you don't churn it. It's, you, it's a big, long paddle and you paddle it. And, um, you know, th- there's a role for most of the most, I would say, if I had to guess, you know, like 90 percent of them are family owned businesses, if not more. And for the most part, the women are the ones who prepare the base of the ice cream and, and sorbet. 
And a lot of them don't give out the recipes even to their other members <laughs> of the family. And then for the most part, it's um, mainly the men that do the, the paddling because uh, it's very it's very heavy work there are some some women who do it but you know there's like the, there's this woman there's a stand um in a town called Patscuaro it's a it's it's this beautiful little town uh in in the center of Mexico and the the woman i forget how old she is but she's i think she told me she's close to 90 and she's one of those women, and she's just starting to show her son how to make the basis. And she wakes up every day between 5 and 6 a.m. They get the fruit. They, I mean, it's, it's incredible. That's and, amazing. And it's like that. They have so many stories. There's another shop um, in another part of Mexico that specializes in uh, sorbets. They have a ton of flavors, but what really sets them apart in this town, particular town that has tons of uh, ice cream, they specialize in uh, sorbets and ice cream made from different cactus fruits, wow. but not just the ones that you see all over Mexico. Some that only grow in that region in a specific time of year in the mountains. And so there's so many very special things. Now, that must of course, have been the most fun book to research ever. Yes. I love, <laughs> you know, I have to say that for me, the best part of the of the book process is the research. Yeah. And I wish I could take. So I when I write, I want to take the reader to, to at least part of what I, I want experience to go <laughs> yes you want to go there so until or if you can't go maybe you can go through okay through the, yeah. <laughs> that. and you know a lot of those things i can't i couldn't put in the book i could talk about them well but. yeah i mean how do you translate what you just described with like paddling in a barrel i mean how do you <laughs> how do you instruct like a home cook or yes. someone who's i mean there, there, there is a way that, that you can do it but to to be honest then i was thinking about this um you just made me think about this actually because a lot of the home machines uh you know they're not they don't make the same kind of ice cream mm -hmm. as if you if you know as the one we use for for our shop you know they they they, they, the ice cream is a little bit icier. It's a little bit less creamy because, you know, it's just the, the equipment, right? Like what, what you can do. So that produces closer to what, to what it is, uh, in the handmade, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but also, you know, it's for me, it's taking the essence of that and then trying to do that for the home cook, um, you know, and, or, you know, if they're a pastry chef for it to inspire new flavors or, you know, and I, I, I started my career in the savory side. Mm. So I think more like a savory chef and I want people to sort of use it as base of inspiration. Um, because if they're not going to be able to get good mangoes where they are, you know, but maybe that kind of flavor profile or the description of it will make them want to try it out with something else. You know what well, I mean? that's what I mean about like your flavors often being surprising and like on paper can be sort of challenging. And yes. I love that about <laughs> your ice cream. You know, it's just it's really unexpected and it's so playful. And it's ah, so thank creative. you. Yeah. And, you know, like I love sorbet. I think sorbet gets really overlooked mm -hmm. um, in other parts in a lot of I mean, outside of a lot of Latin countries and I'm sure many others. But in Mexico, if you go to an ice cream shop. 
you'll see at least half, if not more, of the selection being water-based. And I feel a lot of, at least in the in the U.S., most of the ice cream shops have a couple of selection, and it's mostly for, well, you know, for people that can't eat dairy or don't like it. But it's almost like you they're not exciting. You have fine lemon, raspberry, mango mm-hmm. is the most exotic. Um, but to me, I'm like, I'm all about, the, I'm all over the, the sorbets. I love fruit. I think that they're very... Uh, you know, Mexico, you go to any house in Mexico and you're going to find a huge bowl of fruit of whatever's in season, no matter where you go. Yeah, so. but isn't, I mean, isn't the fruit just so much better there? Isn't that part of yes, why? Yes, I, I think, I think <laughs> yes, that, that is a good point, <laughs> for sure. That's right on your parade, but... Yes, no, 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 I do want to eat more fruit in and Mexico. Also, and also here it's colder, so yeah. like right now I crave more of an ice cream. Right. You know, but... Uh, so I try to have a lot of uh, options. Okay, so what kind shop. of what kind of sorbets have you been playing with that are beyond the basic like lemon, raspberry, boring uh, stuff? So we have like, for example, now at the shop we have an avocado passion fruit, <sighs> and it's really really good. So you have the creaminess from the avocado. I can't even those flavors together in a sorbet. <laughs> well, you know, it was, you have the creaminess uh-huh. of the and the richness of the avocado, but then you have the tanginess. You know, thinking like guacamole, you have the the lime. I love the right. So <laughs> there you go. So somebody's like a sweet guacamole. Sweet guacamole. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think of it that way. But I know. I know some of our customers yeah. uh, do. You know, um, and we have like a very special one that I did. Uh, so for Valentine's Day, talking about politics, you know, I, in Mexico, Valentine's Day is the day of love and friendship. Hmm. So you know, I really don't care for the holiday. I I always hated. You know how when I was younger. You know, if I didn't have a significant other, it would make me feel like crap. Or even if I did, it would make others. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't like that. But I love the fact that in Mexico, it's very sort of all-inclusive. I love that, too. And when I was uh, growing up, we would give each other candy and chocolate. So it was very nice. And so I had this whole specials that I wanted to do to celebrate that, you know, at the shop. But it, I was not feeling it with everything going on yeah. politically. And I was like, I just can't. And then I decided to create a special flavor, um, you know, for my love for Mexico. I mean, for me, everything that I do is about that, but one really special flavor. I love that. And, uh, and I called it Mi Corazon, which uh-huh. means my heart. And, you know, it's like the, the special and then the sales from that particular flavor, uh, which I'll describe in a second, you know, all the proceeds go to this organization called Maldef which is, you know, a Latino, a leading Latino legal voice in the U.S. protecting human rights. So uh, it's a three-colored sorbet, (laughs) of course, Uh, green, white, and red, like the colors of the flag in Mexico. So the green is a cactus, uh, pineapple sorbet. The white is a mezcal with a touch of lime and the red is a mixed berry hibiscus so to me like all of that the the complexity the the layers of colors and flavors that were just to me highlights what the culture is like you yeah. know and uh i think you should make that a permanent flavor yeah i think we're gonna have it i don't i with I, the I, proceeds always going to that organization because yeah. mm-hmm. that's just you know, it's like, it's such a struggle every day. You're like, what, what is something else I can do to help? And like, that's just a really easy sort of tangible thing. And you get ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you get ice cream. And then, you know, but I had a friend who's like, what, what about 
what about you? When are you going to take care of you? And I'm like, oh, don't worry. Like, we'll figure it out because, you know, we're still opening a shop. Like, this is not financially the time for us yeah. to be, you know, like... Uh, but just one flavor. To have, but just one flavor. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we can justify it. You yeah. Know, just one flavor. So I think that there's always something that, that you can do. And hopefully, you know, whether you buy this or buy or not, but maybe that inspires someone to do something else mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? And you always work with um, another organization, mm-hmm. right? With low-income Mexican women? Yeah. I, I work with an organization called CREA that I love. And uh, it's an organization that... Uh, a friend of mine, well, she became a friend. I didn't know her when I when I first found the organization. And they support women uh, business owners and entrepreneurs uh, and give them, they give them the tools and the education that they need in order for, for them to succeed. And it started out with like 12 women a few years ago. And I think now they have like 4,000. Wow. It's, it's amazing. And actually the, they started in the state um, called Zacatecas, and it was the, the state where they had the largest percentage of migrant men workers, uh, you know, immigrating to the U.S. So all of these women were left, you know, without feeling very hopeless and helpless, and they really wanted to do something to to help. And a lot of them, they were so successful that their husbands were able to come back and now help them grow the business yeah so that was a pilot program and then now uh now it's it's amazing so one of the chocolates that i get but i can't get it that often we have we're trying to figure that out is from one of the women that they do and you know i give uh, part of my uh proceeds that the you know the profits that we have um to them Mm -hmm. so it's a very you know for me i think it was important to find an organization that it wasn't just giving them money because to me the best way to help is to give through education and i mean uh, you certainly have so many skills that you can share <laughs> i mean as a, no i mean as a as an immigrant who came to this country and started your own business and then another business <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've made a lot of mistakes so uh you know so i i'm always you know happy and open to to uh-huh. sharing that you know if i can save a uh, you know, <laughs> anybody. Well, it's just part certain, of the process. I'm it's sure. part of the process for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing to me what you've accomplished in such a short amount of time. Well, too. thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, um, Fanny, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. On the thank show you for today. having it was really me. Really a pleasure. Is when is your book coming out? By the way, the book is coming out June, beginning okay. of June. I think the official date is June 8th, but you can pre-order it on Amazon, and you get a discount. I think if you well, pre-order that sounds it good. now. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, and how many locations of dough are there? Three now. Uh, so we have uh, two physical locations and then two kiosks, mm-hmm. and uh, and then one. We finally have a brick and mortar for Angelina. Thank you. And then we have you know in the summer multiple outlets yeah. and carts. Well, I so. look forward to to tasting all the sorbet. And all the <laughs> yes, ice cream. please do. You gotta tr- come try the corazón. I would love to try that. Yes. Fanny, thanks for coming. You are listening at home to Food Without Borders. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. See you next week. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.